Book Ten, Chapter Eleven of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Camilla or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Chapter Eleven. Means to Still Agitation. Declining all aid, Camilla continued in the same position, wrapped up, coveting the dark, and stifling sighs that were rising into sobs, till she heard a gentle tap at her door. She started, but still hid herself. Mrs. Marl was already gone. Peggy answered the summons, and returned to the bedside with a note in her hand, begging Camilla to take it, as it came from the gentleman who was to have read the prayers. "'Is he then gone?' cried she in a voice announcing deep disappointment. "'Yes, he went directly, my dear lady.' She threw the covering from her face, and with uplifted hands exclaimed, "'Oh, Edgar, could you see me thus, and leave me?' Yet eagerly seizing the letter, called for a candle, and strove to read it. But the character seemed double to her weak and dazzled eyes, and she was forced to relinquish the attempt. She pressed it to her bosom, and again covered herself up. Something, nevertheless, like internal revival, once more, to her own unspeakable amazement, began fluttering at her breast. She had seen the beloved of her heart dearer to her far than the life she thought herself resigning, seen him penetrated to anguish by her situation, awakened to the tenderest recollections, and upon her hand had dropped a testimony of his sensibility, that, dead as she had thought herself to the world, its views, its hopes, its cares, passed straight to her heart, that wonderful repository of successive emotions, whence the expulsion of one species of interest but makes way for the entrance of another, and which vainly, while yet in mortal life, builds even more from hour to hour upon any chasm of mortal solicitude. While wrapped up in this reverie, poignantly agitating, yet undefinable soothing, upon the return of Edgar to England, and his astonishing appearance in her room, her attention was again aroused by another gentle tap at the door. Peggy opened it and left the room, but soon came back to beg an answer to the note, for which the gentleman was waiting upon the stairs. "'Waiting?' she repeated, in extreme trepidation. "'Is he not then gone?' "'No, ma'am, only out of the room. He can't go away without the answer,' he says. A sensation of pleasure was now so new to Camilla as almost to be too potent either for her strength or her intellects. She doubted all around her, doubted what she heard, doubted even her existence. Edgar! Could it be Edgar who was waiting for an answer? Who was under the same roof, who had been in the same room, who was now separated from her but by a thin wainscot? Oh! no 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 she cried my senses all delude me one vision after another beguiles my deranged imagination yet she called peggy to her again again asked her if it were indeed true 
and bidding her once more bring the candle. The new spirit with which she was invigorated enabled her to persevere in her efforts, till she made out the following lines, which were sealed but not directed. The sorrow, the tumult of my soul, I attempt not to paint. Forgive, O Camilla, an intrusion which circumstances made resistless. Deign to bury in kind oblivion all remembrance but of our early friendship, our intuitive attachment, our confidence, esteem, and happy juvenile intercourse, and under such auspices animated as they are innocent, permit me to hasten, Mrs. Tyrold, to this spot, or trust me, I conjure with the mystery of this dreadful desolation, O oh, Camilla, by all the scenes that have passed between us, by the impression indelible they have engraved upon my heart, wound not the most faithful of your friends by rejecting his services e m dissolved in tears of tenderness relieving nay delightful she immediately sent him word that she accepted his kind office and should feel eternal gratitude if he would acquaint her friends with her situation peggy soon informed her the gentleman was gone and she then inquired why he had been brought to her as a clergyman the little girl gave the account with the utmost simplicity her mistress she said knew the gentleman very well who was squire mandelbert and lived at a great house not many miles off and had just alighted to bait his horses as she went to ask about sending for the clergyman he inquired who was ill and her mistress said it was a lady who had gone out of her mind by seeing a dead body, and raved of nothing but having prayers read to her, which her husband would do, when his house was clear, if the humour lasted, for they had nobody to send three miles off, and by drawing the curtains she would not know if it was a clergyman or not. The young squire then asked if she was a lodger or a traveller, and her mistress answered, "'She's a traveller, sir.' and if it had not been for peggy's knowing her we should have been afraid who she might be for she stays here and never pays us only she has given us a watch and a locket for pledges then he asked on some more questions continued peggy and presently desired to see the locket and when he had looked at it he turned as white as a sheep and said he must see the lady her mistress said she was laid down upon the bed and she could not send in a gentleman unless it was her husband, just to quiet her poor head by reading her a prayer or two. So then the squire said he'd take the prayer-book and read to her himself, if she'd spare time to go in the room first, and shut up the curtains. So her mistress said no at first, but Peggy said the poor lady fretted on so badly, that presently up they came together. Ah, dear darling Locket! internally cried camilla how from the first have i loved how to the last will i prize it ah dear darling locket how for ever while i live will i wear it in my bosom a calm now took place of her agonies that made her seem in a renovated existence till sleep by gentle approaches stole upon her again not to bring to her the dread vision which accompanied its first return, nor yet to allow her tranquil repose. 
A softer form appeared before her, more afflictive, though not so horrible. It was the form of her mother. All displeasure removed from her penetrating countenance, no longer in a dying child viewing the child that had offended her, yet while forgiving and embracing, seeing her expire in her arms. She awakened affrighted, she started, she sat upright, she called aloud upon her mother, and wildly looking round, thought she saw her at the foot of the bed. She crossed her eyes with her hands to endeavour to clear her sight, but the object only seemed more distinct. She bent forward, seeking conviction, yet incredulous, though still meeting the same form. Sighing at last from fruitless fatigue, "'Tis wondrous odd,' she cried, "'but I now never know when I wake or when I sleep.' The form glided away, but with motion so palpable she could no longer believe herself played upon by imagination. Ave impressed and wonderstruck, she softly opened her side curtain to look after it. It had stopped by a high chest of drawers, against which, leaning its head upon its arm, it stood erect, but seemed weeping. She could not discern the face, but the whole figure had the same sacred resemblance. The pulses of her head beat now with so much violence she was forced to hold her temples. Doubt, dread, and hope seized every faculty at once, till, at length, the upraised arm of the form before her dropped, and she distinctly saw the profile. "'It is herself! It is my mother!' she screamed rather than pronounced, and threw herself from the bed to the floor. "'Yes, it is your mother!' was repeated in a tone solemn and penetrating. To what a scene, O Camilla, returned, her house abandoned, her son in exile, her Eugenia lost, her husband the prop of all, where she dare not name, and thou, the child of her bosom, the constant terror, yet constant darling of her soul, where and how does she see, does she meet thee again, O Camilla? Then tenderly, though with anguish, bending over her, she would have raised and helped her to return to the bed. But Camilla would not be aided. She would not lift up her eyes. Her face sought the ground, where, leaning it upon her hands, without desiring to speak, without wishing to stir, torn by self-reproaches that made her deem herself unworthy to live, she remained speechless, immovable. Repress, repress, said Mrs. Tyrrell gently, yet firmly, these strong feelings, uselessly torturing to us both. Raise your head, my poor girl, raise and repose it upon the breast of your mother. Of my mother? repeated Camilla, in a voice hardly audible. Have I a mother who again will own the blast of her hopes and happiness, the disgrace, the shame of the best and most injured of fathers let us pray said mrs tyrrell with a sigh that these evils may pass away and by salutary exertions not desponding repinings earn back our fugitive peace again she then would have raised her but camilla sank from all assistance no she cried 
i am unworthy of your lenity i am unable even to bear it camilla said mrs tyrrell steadily it is time to conquer this impetuous sensibility which already in its effects has nearly broken all our hearts with what horror have we missed with what agony sought you now then that at length we find you excite not new terror by consigning yourself to willing despair struck with extreme dread of committing yet further wrong she lifted up her head with intention to have risen but the weak state of her body forgotten by herself and by mrs tyrrell unsuspected took its turn for demanding attention alas my poor child cried she what horrible havoc has this short absence produced oh camilla with a soul of feeling like yours strong tender generous and but too much alive how is it you can thus have forgotten the first ties of your duty and your heart and have been wrought upon by your own sorrows to forget the sorrows you inflict why have you thus fled us thus abandoned yourself to destruction was our anger to be set in competition with our misery was the fear of displeasure from parents who so tenderly love you to be indulged at the risk of never-ending regret to the most lenient of fathers and nearly the loss of senses to a mother who from your birth had idolized you in her inmost soul bending then over her she folded her in her arms where camilla overpowered with the struggles of joy and contrition sunk nearly lifeless mrs tyrrell seeing now her bodily feebleness put her to bed with words of soothing tenderness no longer blended with retrospective investigation conjuring her to be calm to remember whose peace and happiness were encircled in her life and health and to remit to her fuller strength all further interesting discourse ah my mother cried camilla tell me first if the time may ever come when with truth you can forgive me alas my darling child answered the generous mother i have myself now to pardon that i forgave thee not at first camilla seemed transported to another region with difficulty miss tyrold could hold her in her bed though hovering over a pillow with incessant caresses but to raise her eye only to meet that of her mother not as her fertile terror had prophesied darting unrelenting ire but softly solicitous and exquisitely kind to feel one loved hand anxiously upon her forehead and to glue her own lips upon the other to find fears that had made existence insupportable transformed into security that rendered it delicious with a floating uncertain yet irrepressible hope that to edgar she owed this restoration caused a revulsion in all her feelings that soon operated upon her frame not indeed with tranquillity but with rapture approaching to delirium when suddenly a heavy lumbering noise appalled her ah my mother she faintly cried our beloved eugenia that noise where and how is eugenia 
the wretched mr bellamy is no more mrs tyrold answered she was acquainted with the whole dreadful business and would relate it in a season of more serenity but meanwhile as repose she well knew never associated with suspense she satisfied immediate anxiety by assurances that eugenia was safe and at etherington this was a joy scarce inferior to that which so recently had transported her but mrs tyrold gathering from the good peggy that she had not been in bed nor scarce tasted food since she had been at the half-way house refused all particulars till she had been refreshed with nourishment and rest the first immediately was ordered and immediately taken and mrs tyrold to propitiate the second insisted upon total silence and prepared to sit up with her all night long as the extreme agitation of her spirits distanced dear nature's sweet restorer balmly sleep the change from so much misery to heartfelt peace and joy with the judicious nursing and restoratives devised by mrs tyrold for her weak and half-famished frame made her slumber when at length it arrived last so long that though broken by frequent starts she awoke not till late the next morning her eyes then opened upon a felicity that again made her think herself in a new world her mother leaning over her was watching her breathe with hands uplifted for her preservation and looks of fondness which seemed to mark that her happiness depended upon its being granted but as she raised herself to throw her arms around the loved maternal neck the shadow of another form quickly yet gently receding struck her sight ah heaven she exclaimed who is that will you be good said mrs tyrrell gently be tranquil be composed and earn that i should tell you who has been watching by you this hour camilla could not answer certain now who it must be her emotions became again uncontrollable her horror her remorse her self-abhorrence revived and agonizingly exclaiming tis my father oh where can i hide my head she strove again to envelop herself with the bed-curtain from all view here in his own arms upon his own breast you shall hide it said mr tyrold returning to the bedside and all now shall be forgotten but thankfulness that our afflictions seem finding their period oh my father my father cried camilla forgetting her situation in her desire to throw herself at his feet can you speak to me thus after the woe the disgrace i have brought upon you i deserve your malediction i expected to be shut out from your heart i thought myself abandoned i looked forward only in death to receiving your forgiveness mrs tyrold held her still while her father now blessed and embraced her each uttering in the same moment whatever was softest to console her but all her quick feelings were reawakened beyond their power to appease them her penitence tortured her very gratitude tore her to pieces oh my mother she cried how do you forbear to spurn me can you think of what is past 
and still pronounce your pardon will you not draw it back at the sight of my injured father are you not tempted to think i deserve eternal banishment from you both and to repent that you have not ordered it no my dearest child no i lament only that i took you not at once to your proper security to these arms my camilla that now so fondly enfold you to this bosom my darling girl where my heart beats your welcome you make me too too happy the change is almost killing my mother my dearest mother i did not think you would permit me to ever call you so again my father i knew would pardon me for the chief suffering was his own but even he i never expected could look at me thus benignly again and hardly hardly would he have been tried if the evil had been reversed mr tyrold exhorted her to silent composure but finding her agitation overpower even her own efforts he summoned her to join him in solemn thanks for her restoration awfully though most gratefully impressed by such a call she checked her emotion and devoutly obeyed and the short but pious ceremony quieted her nerves and calmed her mind the gentlest tranquillity then took place in her breast of the tumultuous joy which had first chased her deadly affliction the soothing however serious turn given by devotion to her changed situations softened the acute excess of rapture which mounted felicity nearly to agony more eloquent as well as safer than any speech was the pause of deep gratitude the silence of humble praise which ensued camilla in each hand held one of each beloved parent alternately she pressed them with grateful reverence to her lips alternately her eyes sought each revered countenance and received in the beaming fondness they emitted a benediction that was balm to every woe End of chapter eleven read by Lars Rolander